This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharuddin. You're tuned into the show that brings you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Last week, we spoke to Chow Lun Wai, Senior Lecturer at the Faculty of Built, Environment and Surveying, University Technology Malaysia, to look at how cities should be defined beyond administrative criteria. We came away with a conversation that transcended into looking at design pillars that we somehow should adopt to make city life more sustainable, including trying to move away from a car-dependent model and moving towards a design that's more public transport friendly. In this episode, Chow Lun Wai joins us again to extend that conversation. Now, in thinking about design, it's easy to start on a clean slate, but how do we include these sustainable practices in an existing city? I think all built structures in our cities, our modern architecture will have its lifespan. You know, I think the current technologies of construction, our kind of uh, prevalent urban forms may last easily 50-60 years. So the time will come for certain places to be replaced, to be regenerated, redeveloped and so on. But even before that, I think if we all recognize really the importance of creating safer living environments, uh, more livable living environments for people, we still need to start thinking about how we may be able to do small-scale things to adapt, repurpose you know, our urban environments and what we have. Uh, we can't wait until, for example, a, an urban area to come to the end of its lifespan, then we start rethinking or, or redesigning. I think there are many examples from around the world that we can actually learn from. And some are very inspiring kind of uh, projects and ideas. But these, I mean, the actions involved may, may not mean that, you know, it has to be like very large scale, dramatic or very uh, capital intensive kind of uh, projects. There are little things that we, we can do a lot in our cities. And a lot of these inspiring, why, why are they inspiring? Because they are quite a lot of these are actually just started by uh, people, people themselves in a rather bottom-up kind of process. So community, for example, uh, start seeing that they need to improve their urban environments, then they start doing something because uh, sometimes waiting for the local government or waiting for public funding, especially in this very trying time, can be very difficult. So there are many things actually that can be done. For example, you know, for an existing area, we have got road reserve generally in cities. So in, in planning, for example, roads have different hierarchies according to their functions. You may be talking about what we call arterial roads, which have a 30-meter uh, reserve, or you are talking about what we call a collector road with a 20-meter reserve, or the local road systems, generally about 12.2 meters in width. That, that's the reserve. The paved areas, meaning that the, the tar the tarred area, the asphalt, uh, would probably be, you know, about like 12 feet on one side, 12 feet on the other side if they are two lanes. So there are remaining spaces uh, on both sides of our road reserve. So these, these are places sometimes, you know, we can rethink how we can repurpose them and so on. Uh, but essentially, at the end of the day, we, we need to still... Um, learn from the mistakes that we have uh, made all the while and uh, 
start looking for opportunities where possible to adapt. And whenever we have the opportunity to do new development, then we do not repeat the mistake that we have made. Whenever there is an opportunity to, for example, start a new project, we need to start doing it correctly. Yeah. So project by project, slowly, then I think things will change positively. Sometimes in our conversations about cities, we tend to focus our attention towards only the authorities. But Lunwai believes that developers should also play their part. Uh, a very key player in the production of our urban environment would be the landowners, developers and private investors. This is sometimes a bit hard to uh, discuss because I mean, at the end of the day, of course, private projects are meant to generate profit. It's about profit. And it's not wrong. I'm not saying that going for profit is wrong. I think, you, you, you know, in economic terms, profit is good. But if we, again, just rather single perspectively uh, pursue, per, pursue profit, economic efficiency and so on, then we perhaps sideline too much the, econo- uh, the uh, environmental and social aspects. And that's where, again, we create the same problem that we are seeing in the city. So on the whole, apart from the government, the institutions, apart from the people, the community themselves, I think the the other very important party or player in in the whole process of uh, built environment production, the developers, the investors, the financiers, and so on, uh, they may need to also start rethinking about what is a good city you know, and also the economic benefits and gains that could actually be generated from a more sustainable and livable city in the long run. And having said in the long run, perhaps this is also where the problem is. Uh, I think most of the time, we tend to look at economic gains and profit in a rather shorter term perspective. Uh, So when we start talking in the long run, it becomes quite academic and theoretical. That is also one of the issues, I think. It may be quite difficult to convince, uh, you know, in a rather capitalism-oriented kind of economy or society these days, it can be really quite difficult to convince people to, you know, kind of give a little bit more emphasis and priority to the more socially and environmentally oriented goals. And I have to be careful in saying this as well. we have to be fair. Yeah? I mean, if we look at our cities, if we look at Malaysian urban environment, actually lots of improvements have happened uh, over the years. Uh, it, it is just that, however, if we look at so-called the uh, triple bottom line of sustainable development, economic sustainability, environmental sustainability, and social sustainability, it's very difficult to talk about a balance among these three. Yeah, I think it probably will not be too difficult to accept that economic sustainability, if any, tended to be given more priority than the others. So this one, to be honest with you, I don't know how to go about it. Yeah, But at the end of the day, money speaks the loudest. Uh, but I guess our realization uh, needs to be there. And hopefully one day, we will begin to see, you know, slowly, yeah, a progressive shift. Uh, of course, profit is still important, yeah, but we also, at the same time, begin to give, uh, 
you, you know, more emphasis to social goals as well as environmental goals. So that goes back to the aesthetic uh, quality that you mentioned earlier, so that we don't simply create rows and rows and rows of uh, houses, all look the same, and the uh, environmental quality is actually as parsimonious as possible in a way of saving cost. But, you know, we need to actually kind of give more attention to creating better urban environments for people. Most importantly, Chow Lin Wai also believes that open dialogue should be fostered among all the parties responsible in developing cities as they're all related and are dependent on one another. So, you see, in the city, everything is almost interrelated, all intertwined, all very closely uh, tied up together. You fail in one, chances are that you will fail. It will lead to failures in the others as well. So with that in mind, I do think it is very important to have all the parties uh, concerned with uh, the production of the urban environment to have a more open kind of uh, dialogue so that we begin understanding better what people need, what people want, uh, what are good cities, what are the barriers faced by the government agencies, town planners, architects, uh, traffic engineers and so on. Uh, you know, what are the concerns of the uh, property developers, financiers, investors, and so on. And uh, one of the problems is that, you know, sometimes these different parties are kind of guessing what the other parties want. And uh, there is distrust generally, you know, even among the parties and all this. Even academicians, if, if, you, if you start talking about uh, sometimes, you know, professional practitioners in the built environment sector in, in Malaysia and elsewhere, in fact, they may always think that, oh, academicians, of course, it's easy for them to talk. They talk of the books, they talk about concepts, theories, uh, principles, and so on. But when it is about putting things on the ground, you know, looking for money to make project works, to start constructing and building, they may think that, you know, academic ideas, concepts, principles uh, do not work well on the ground. And I think that's why there is a very important need to have a, a very good dialogue among all these parties. Theories, concepts, principles are actually very, very important. And if you look around in uh, so-called better cities, relatively good cities from around the world, you look at Copenhagen, for example, you look at Vancouver, you look at Australia, uh, even you look at some uh, cities in Japan, and I purposely highlight these few examples because they are from all different continents. You look at our nearby Singapore, for example. Uh, I mean, uh, and I have to be, again, careful in saying this. I mean, no, no one city could be good in everything. So I'm, I mentioned these few cities. is because each city, you know, will have its own strength, will have its own offering. But generally, if you look at some these these cities that I just named, uh, they are widely recognized as cities that actually provide very good living environment, you know, livability to their citizens. So what can we learn from them? Uh, if things work there, why can't we start considering maybe they will also work here? Resilience is another very important aspect to talk about, especially in light of climate change and also in the pandemic situation that we are facing now. 
So cities, people living in them, you know, have to be resilient as well. So Malaysian cities, I think, can become very good cities and can become the role model, in fact, for other cities and so on. It is, to me, quite easy to check or to decide whether a city is good or not. It is very simple. The question goes back to, I call this the litmus test yeah, of uh, urban quality. Uh, to just ask a very simple question. Is our city environment good and safe for young children, for people with variable disability, for the elderly, for vulnerable groups? Once the answer to this is no, then I'm sorry, you can call it whatever name, sustainable city, smart city, you know, you can call it healthy city, safe city, whatever label that you can put preceding the word city, to me, it is not as meaningful. Yeah, To me, city should always be about the people. So we go back on the ground looking at really how people live in the city. So if the city is safe, good, comfortable, welcoming to young children, to the elderly, to people with variable disability, you know, then the city is actually good for everyone. And we call that an inclusive city. So ask ourselves, look, go around our Malaysian cities, ask ourselves, any particular example of a city that is generally welcoming, comfortable and friendly to this group of people that I just mentioned earlier? I think the answer should be a, a resounding no. Most people, I would say. And I have to be fair, again, I don't want to make sweeping statements, yes? There are some areas in some cities that have seen a lot of improvement. In, in Kuala Lumpur, for example, DBKL has done quite some good jobs in improving uh, some of the uh, urban areas, in uh, giving more priority to pedestrians and so on. But uh, we shouldn't make these exceptions. We should make all this the rule, rather. So I'm, I'm saying this in a way of... Uh, painting a general picture, uh, I think, of what better cities could be. And we can do some reality check in our cities by just asking that simple question that I was asking earlier. However, let's be positive about this as well. Some good things have happened here and there. And whenever we have got all these good things happening, it is very important to uh, highlight all this as inspiring, motivating projects so that many more cities can follow suit. So it will be a very happy moment for Malaysians, I think, if we are able to see that one day, good quality, nice places uh, in our cities are a norm, are a rule rather than exception. So if we were to summarize, how can we actually improve existing areas or localities that have pretty much matured? Here are some steps that we can perhaps take according to Lun Wai. When opportunities are there, I think we need to expand the public transport network to make sure that uh, especially higher density areas with affordable homes and so on, these are all very well covered so that we can encourage more people to use public transport. 
and uh, I, I really think the working environments in neighborhoods, you, you know, between uh, houses and the public transport stop, between houses and the local shops, local services, to schools, for example, all these need to be improved. And maybe this is too general to, to be improved, but, you know, I mean, safer streets will mean that you have got uh, good walkways. Hopefully, you know, not the kind that, that is provided as a, a form of tokenism, you know, a, a one meter width walkway, for example, with three lanes of traffic going at 50, 60 kilometers per hour uh, just beside you. That's, that's not a good walking environment. So we need to kind of reclaim some of our street spaces for pedestrians to encourage more people to walk and so on. Plant more trees, that is for sure. I think uh, Malaysia as a tropical country, we are so fortunate to be uh, kind of uh, given, you know, very fertile land, lots of rain and so on. You literally throw a seed into the soil, it grows. And it's sad to say that most of our urban environments, you know, generally we are uh, too short of uh, trees. I mean, good trees as in shady trees and so on. So trees are very important for shades, therefore encouraging more people to, to walk. And of course, they also are very good carbon sequestration uh, measures. And there are good carbon stock when they grow into mature trees and so on. And if we talk about edible landscape and so on, then, you know, it doesn't function only as green in the city. But, you know, it could provide food. It could be part of uh, urban farming. Uh, we can encourage that, you know, and so on and so forth. So there are many things that can be done, actually, without... Uh, like large-scale, drastic demapping of a big urban area. We need to look for opportunities, including incidental opportunities, spaces between buildings, pocket spaces, you know, spaces left over within the road reserves, you know, the drainage reserve, our Jabatan Pengairan dan Saliran or DID reserves. Um, these are areas where we can explore the opportunities to actually do little things using existing public land and reserves that we have got to try to improve our urban environment so that we encourage more people to be active, to walk, to cycle, use public transport, to interact more, to meet each other more, and so on. For local goods and local needs, we need to walk and get them instead of jumping into the car or jumping onto the motorcycle and so on. But I think our present-day urban environment have forced us to do to do so, yeah, as in you know, driving and all this. So when the opportunity comes, then I hope you know most cities in Malaysia, urban environments in Malaysia, we really need to rethink how to adapt, repurpose, restructure our spaces in order to meet people's needs. Because still, at the end of the day, people are at the core of cities. Cities are cities because of people. And therefore, planning and design should be about people. That was Chow Lun Wai, Senior Lecturer at the Faculty of Built, Environment and Surveying University Technology Malaysia, giving his input on how we can think about improving localities or cities that have matured. 
That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash ilovekl, our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and also Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharuddin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Remember to stay at home if possible, practice social distancing and stay safe. Join us again next week only on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.